there are lots of things we need to get our head around with AI and get right. One of them is not treating them like humans. If you are listening to this podcast, which now you've heard that, I know you are, you're probably one of the top 100 most influential people in performance marketing. But if you want to get that accredited and be able to slap that on your LinkedIn, then apply to PMW's Top 100 Power List. If you also think you know someone who should be on the list, you can recommend someone. Head to performancemarketingworld.com and click on PMW 100 Power List to be in with the chance of being named in the top most influential people in performance marketing. Hello and welcome to Performance Marketing Unlocked, the podcast from Performance Marketing World, where we unlock a different topic each week. And today we are unlocking and exposing the misconceptions of tech within the marketing industry. Today's guest is Tom Grogan, former software engineer, then recovered lawyer, his own words, and now the CEO of MDRX, Michonne de Reyes Digital Transformation and Legal Engineering Consultancy. Welcome to the studio, Tom. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks, Lucy. Thanks for having me. Not at all, not a problem. Well, I was very excited to have Tom here because we met in Cannes a couple of weeks, months. God, I don't even know how long ago it was. I think time works very differently in Cannes. Everything works quite differently in Cannes, (laughs) I think it's fair to say. But we, after a very short conversation, you highlighted to me, as a as a tech expert, the amount of misconceptions, but also kind of misdefining AI on panels. And you said, out of all the panels that have been had at Cannes on AI, which was a lot, not a single one of them had a software engineer of what you saw, which I thought was a really interesting point. And I thought, okay, I've got to get him on the pod. So here we are. So why do you think these misconceptions exist from these seeming experts? I think the real I think the real danger is I think well I think there's a number of dangers. I think there's a number of challenges when it comes to explaining complex technologies to audiences often of very mixed understandings and base levels of of expertise. I think simplification is really important. I also am not for a moment disregarding the important role that marketing and poetic license and all of these things play when we're talking about um, technologies. However, simplification cannot be inaccurate. And I think when we talk on, when we hear people talk on panels, so often someone stands up and says, just for the benefit of the audience, I'm just going to explain what AI is and how it works. Mm. And they proceed to give an explanation which is fundamentally wrong. I I observed one panel on which the person stood up and said, okay, so the first thing you do when you build a AI model is teach it the sort of fundamental truths. So the earth is flat, British people like tea, things like that. I mean that's <laughs> that's blue, just whatever. just nonsense, right? Mm-hmm. It's just it's it that's that it got a cute laugh from mm-hmm. the audience. But just fundamentally, you don't teach an AI model fundamental truths before you start to to build it. That's just that's just wrong. And I do think maybe it's the recovered lawyer in me, but I do think accuracy of words 
is important when you're having conversations because for every person that's laughing and finding that funny because they know it to be nonsense, there's another three people thinking, okay, well, at least now when someone's having a conversation, I can say, well, have we taught it the fundamental truths? And that's Mm. just a stupid thing to say. And I think the accuracy is particularly important whilst there's a lot of criticism around AI. You know, if if we're trying to improve the perception of it and... uh, get different people on board because some people are skeptical and then other people say well it's been around for 10-15 years what's the issue yeah um and so accuracy in that respect is probably quite important yeah I, I i i agree i think so often fear comes from a lack of understanding and it's incumbent on on all of us working in the technology industry to help people to understand and therefore hopefully be a a bit less scared so to give a very basic definition of AI is the simulation of human intelligence tasks Mm -hmm. um, by a machine, typically a computer system. I think one of the challenges we have with AI is how very, very seductive and tempting it is to humanize the behavior that they are carrying out. We almost anthropomorphize our computers and we start to apply very, very human constructs, human ideas and behaviours to the things that we observe. One of my favourite experiments in terms of humans' interactions with automated systems was in a manufacturing plant in, I think it was Japan, about six years ago, where uh, they had these humanoid robots Mm -hmm. going around the factory, stacking shelves, Um, and all of the employees were up in arms because they saw these humanoid robots as replacements for them, uh, which they were. They made a very, very subtle change. They changed the shape of the robot. The robot did exactly the same job. It still sacked shelves, but it no longer was humanoid. Mm -hmm. It was a box, and all of the complaints disappeared. I mean, they still got replaced by this robot, but it changed the perception of what this technology was it it, it abstracted away somewhat the the human nature of the platform i think in the conversation i heard in in can there was so much chat about is ai evil i mean what 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 is evil well that's such a human fiction construct that we apply to human behaviors um it's not evil it's maths I mean, do you think people do it to make it understand, to make them understand? Uh, I would love to say that. Um, no, I, I think they do it because it's very tempting. It's very, it's very when you see a when you see a thing carrying out a human intelligence process, and a human intelligence process is obviously a very broad umbrella in and of itself um, that can describe. Uh, summarization, pattern spotting, mm-hmm. understanding, rewording, so many, so many things I, I we could I could list forever. When you see a thing carrying out a human intelligence process, you think it is a human, because until now, it always has been. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is a a very, very hard thing for people to avoid getting into co- I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it in different ways, but I think when we speak publicly about these things when we go on the record about these things then we have to be very careful about the words we use to make sure that not only are we explaining things to people in a way that they can understand but we're also not stoking fears that aren't right there are there are lots of things we need to get our head around with ai and get right mm-hmm. one of them is not 
treating them like humans. It's the same, I guess, in in the media in the you know, journalism world. When I mean, if you read an article about AI, what's the image? It's of a robot, isn't yeah. it? And it's this. It's kind of like you said, this anthropomorphizing to try and yeah grab a reader to try and make it more alarming, perhaps. Yeah, I, I think I think sci-fi has an important role in that. Most people's early understanding of AI came from uh, movies. And the movie is very rarely happy. It's very, it's very rarely a a robot enters the house and everything's wonderful. Exactly, yeah. yeah, It's 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 usually not good. I think the media has an important role to play. I think it's a hard role to play. I think it's very hard to write headlines that are accurate, but also interesting. (laughs) Um, But I think we just need to be we need to be careful not to be stoking fears unnecessarily. Let's begin the podcast. So, Tom, I like to ask all our guests to find out what's going on inside their minds. What has been getting your attention recently? So I think the thing that we are finding fascinating at the moment is this. We're seeing two very different visions of what the future of computing will look like. One being advanced by the likes of OpenAI with ChatGPT. So they are building well, aspirationally general artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. that allows people to interact with it without really ever feeling like they're interacting with a computer, whether or not that's through chat or another um, medium. So you have one vision of computing in the future that has the computer abstracted away entirely. Mm -hmm. The other vision is that you strap a computer to your face, being advanced by Apple with the Vision Pro. That's so that those those two realities, one no computer, one strapped to your face, is such a radically different view of what computing is going to look like in the future. Um, and that's something we're we're finding really interesting. Probably about a quarter of our work is public sector, so advising policymakers, political parties, uh, regulators on on how to conceive of and strategize around these new technologies and trying to strategize around those two very different visions of the future is challenging it's hard it's giving you twice the work it seems <laughs> yeah i think i think my advice on on these things often returns to one of the sayings that i say most often two things can be true i i think i'm not sure either one is is going to be the winner and either one is going to be the loser. I think in reality, we're likely to either use both or those two very, very disparate views will eventually coalesce into something more like a, a middle way at the risk of sounding like one political party in particular. <laughs> um, so I, I, think, I think too often we're asked to choose and make these very false dichotomy decisions when actually the the answer is is somewhere in the middle broadly i think about things through three lenses technological strategic and risk um and that's the um recovered lawyer the last one um <laughs> but you, you can think about you can see how different those things are from a technological perspective the the fundamental technologies the programming languages the frameworks that underpin AI are incredibly different to those that underpin 
the reality technologies, the the VR, AR, MR, XR, anything with an R on the end. So from a tech perspective, they're very, very different. From a strategic, and I guess if we're looking at it from a public sector perspective, we're really thinking about from a societal perspective, very different. The the You're a big fan of the Vision Pro. I remember when you spoke about this. Oh yeah, I would. If I was ever to get a tattoo, it would be of the Apple logo, though. So I, I'm probably. I, I totally admit my bias here. I think the Vision Pro is an example of the absolute zenith of this Silicon Valley era of tech giant. I think a product like the Vision Pro could only in 2023 be made by a company that has such a strong established brand position as Apple. They they very, very clearly looked at it and said, well, we don't think we can make anything that changes the world for a price that most people can afford. And so rather than chasing the mass market, we're just going to build something we believe in. And the price is going to be astronomical, sorry. But the price will come down in the future and the technology will get better. And in the future, this might be a mass market product. But right now, we're going to... It almost feels like they're freestyling mm. and... and it's they're having fun. They're flexing it? with it. Yeah, yeah. They're, 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 they're showing what, what Apple engineers are capable of developing. And they've, they've come up with a product that looks incredibly impressive. I think it's... Uh, again, I think if we the the debate in AI is is AI going to save all of the world or is it going to kill us all? That I think is a stupid argument. In in the reality technology conversation, it's it's often polarized of is the metaverse going to be a utopia or is it dead? Again, that is also a stupid argument because it's neither dead nor is it nor is it going to solve all of our ills. Um, from a from a brand perspective, then, mm-hmm. um, as you work with a lot of very interesting clients, you spoke with Selfridges at Cannes. How much preparation is necessary t- for both these possibilities in the future of computing to get ahead? H- how can you prepare for both of those? Yeah, I think it's incumbent on all boards. And if we th- we think about what the fiduciary duties of a board are within within uh, a company they need to be preparing not just for the the short term but the long term viability of their organization um to the benefit of all of their stakeholders i think it's incumbent on all boards therefore to be horizon scanning constantly mm-hmm. um i don't think it i don't think it would have been an acceptable position for a FTSE 100 company in 2002 to only just begin to start thinking about the internet once e-commerce had probably got traction. They should have been thinking about it in 95, 96. It might have meant that they might not be doing anything at that point, but they at least knew what they were going to do or might do in the future when the, the cards landed as it as it looked like they might. I guess it would also stop. I remember um, from our conversation a couple of weeks ago, it made me laugh and you said uh, you went to some kind of conference uh, speaking to a room of people that were in the metaverse, doing random things in the metaverse. And you just said, please get out the metaverse. Stop doing what you're doing. Yeah, I spoke at a uh, retail event and it was full of full of brands, sort of big, prestigious brands that were just doing random things, just just minting NFTs of all of their socks 
why like why are you doing that what's the and that's not to say that i don't believe in the metaverse it's not to say that i I think all nfts are pointless i don't think either of those two things but some metaverse implementations are stupid and some nfts are a total waste of time i think again both those things can be true um for me it returns to what are you as a company as a brand whether or not you're in retail or anything else what are you trying to achieve in in 10 years time what do you want to be do you want to be a technology company the answer is almost always no unless they're a technology company already are you uh, the nation's favorite grocery store okay well in 10 years time what do you want to be usually they say we still want to be the nation's favorite grocery store and so it, that you therefore should be selecting technologies and using technologies and investing in technologies that advance that mission rather than having this random side strategy. Another thing I heard at Cannes over and over and over again was that the importance of not having a business strategy and then an ESG strategy. To, unless the ESG strategy is aligning with your business strategy, it's always going to be relegated at some point. And the same is true of technology. You, you should be trying to to layer in technology decision-making, technology investment into what you're trying to achieve as an organization. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't fit your organizational strategy, you probably shouldn't be doing it. That's, I mean, that's the really reductionist view of the world. But yeah, it, it's, it's usually true. And I think it's clear, even from a consumer perspective, to see which brands are doing it because they just want to be there they want to look forward thinking or they're doing it because it works for the the you know the ambitions of the brand as you've said but let's let's move on to the ratings section of the podcast as i'd love to hear what you do think is overrated in the industry at the moment so let's start with overrated and then we'll hear your underrated in a couple of minutes so overrated i think it is i think it is the threat that ai tools pose to jobs humanity um, and the future. I don't, I'm extraordinarily bullish on the unique creativity of the human condition and the ability for for human beings and human-made organizations like companies and brands to constantly reinvent themselves and change their roles and adapt their day-to-day behaviors to to meet very, very rapidly changing conditions. Do I think that a lot of the jobs that exist today will not exist in 10 years' time because of AI? Yeah, I absolutely think that. Do I think, therefore, that all of those people will be unemployed? No, I do not. I think there I think there will be job roles that don't yet exist. I, in my spare time, I'm chair of trustees of a, a school in Gloucestershire, and I saw a phenomenal stat recently that 40% of our school leavers today, aged 18, will be in jobs that don't currently exist by 2035, which is I can imagine that's especially true in the computer space as well. As you were say, you know, saying earlier that things are changing all the time. What computer scientists were doing 15, 10 years ago is probably very different to what it is now. It, I mean, it, and it's true everywhere. I think for, for many of your listeners half of my friends now seem to work in marketing and those jobs didn't exist 15 years ago and and who knows what fascinating jobs will be in existence in that industry in the next 10 to 15 years maybe some of the existing jobs won't exist maybe i'm almost certain that there will be more interesting roles i think we can see parallels with with if we focus just on ai for a moment and we think about the last 
information breakthrough from a technology perspective, which was the internet, mm-hmm. created more jobs than it cost. Cost jobs, created more, um, and it allowed us to to do things quicker and faster and more efficiently. So, do you think that the media, the discussion around people being worried about AI taking their jobs, is pointless, is useless, or do uh, you think it's valid in some ways? Good question. Uh, There's no right answer. <laughs> no, I I think I, I I don't I don't rate worry as an emotion. I, it's not productive, right? Sounds like a great life. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's I I don't. I genuinely try and live and think. I get nothing. I don't really get stressed because it's not a productive emotion. So I really really try to just elect not to be stressed, which is easier said than done sometimes. So I don't rate worry. I think aware of I think is very important. And if I was a junior employee in any organization frankly today just entering the workforce i think i i really would want to be aware of and alive to the threats and the opportunities posed by ai to make sure that i'm future proofing myself so the jobs that don't get sort of cold i'm not in that in that yeah. group um i wouldn't be worried though because there will be jobs mm-hmm. um i do think that the winners will be the candidates the employees the stakeholders that that are cognizant of the risks and take some steps to position themselves favorably. Um, I think often the the conversation directly goes to, okay, everyone should learn to code. Absolutely not saying that. Absolutely not saying that. The new LinkedIn influencer trend seems to be everyone thinks that they're a prompt guru being able to, to create fantastic outcomes for AI. I also think that's a waste of time. But thinking about what is it that you are incredibly talented at that sits a little bit further up the value chain than just pure data input and everybody everybody has talent that sits further up that value chain um it's just we don't always recognize that about ourselves well that's nice that people understand you know what the uh, the underrated roles are out there so let's move on to the underrated what do you think is underrated in the industry at the moment it should be getting more attention than it currently is so i'm going to say something that no doubt will make a lot of people roll their eyes i think the metaverse deserves more credit than it is currently getting i think it it's a very polarizing idea um it's interesting you say that because on this i've been we've been doing this podcast for a year and a half and we've always asked overrated and underrated and the most common answer for overrated is the metaverse so i'm going to follow up my controversial putting it as underrated with a controversial definition of the metaverse so i too share the skepticism of many around virtual worlds the ideal that we are going to essentially replicate our physical life in a virtual realm and plug from reality and plug into uh, a virtual reality i'm i I too am skeptical of that and i think it is again it's often the subject of films that never ends well um uh, but i'm i'm relatively skeptical about vr as a pure as the only use case for the metaverse. I'm not don't th- I still think it has a role. Um people say oh it's only valuable in gaming. Maybe that's true, but the gaming industry is the size of the music, film and TV industry combined. So it that that's a that's a huge only. <laughs> um uh, my definition of the metaverse is slightly different. I don't think of it as a place. I think of it as a blurring between previously entirely physical 
and entirely digital experiences. Mm -hmm. So if you are a retailer, currently if you want to sell a white t-shirt and someone wants to buy it, they either go in store or they shop online. Mm -hmm. The metaverse for me is a blurring of those two realities so that every in-store experience is enhanced and amplified using tech and every online experience is enhanced and amplified and perhaps made to feel a bit more physical again using tech um, and that might take the form of being able to virtually try on clothes using ar for example the purest metaverse um, proponents would hate me for that definition because they would say no that's not the metaverse that's just AR, just VR. The metaverse is a made-up word. The metaverse can mean whatever you want it to mean. And for me, the underrated thing that we're going to really see impact every single part of our professional and personal life is going to be that blurring of, of virtual and, and physical. I don't think it gets the press. I don't think it has anyone advocating for it particularly because you don't make money off that blurring in a monopolistic way in the way that you might on a virtual world. Mm -hmm. Um but my God, is it going to be valuable? And, it, and it's it's utterly inevitable. There's no way it's not going to happen. I th yeah, I mean, I think it, that is the most exciting part. So you're right, it's this plugging in and plugging out. Why escape when we can augment? Yeah. Um, and, and I'd like to ask you, because I, I know you do a lot with the metaverse, NFTs um, and digital transformation, but in your experience, what is your personal favourite transformative technology? Ooh. that you've come across uh, i think it's it's so so difficult good question blimey i you can have a few so, so, well so, so our, <laughs> our big our big four or five are ai and in particular machine learning and natural language processing web three which would include blockchain crypto nfts data generally and data isn't a technology i so i feel a fraud saying it but anything using data analytics in particular, it doesn't have to be AI. We, we do a lot of that. And the metaverse. The metaverse also isn't a technology, but in particular, augmented reality within within that tech stack. So all of them are our, those are our big ones. We very deliberately carved ourselves out a position only really advising on those emerging technologies. And, and the reason for that is all of them carry novel risk reputational legal regulatory commercial my business is what 42 people now but we are part of a 1500 person professional services group that includes Mishkondorea which is one of the country's most prestigious law firms so usually people come to us not in spite of having a 1500 person law firm but because of it and therefore we have very much focused on technologies that need that expertise as well as just great computer scientists and when your clients do come to you what's the the most common question that you get asked in the initial briefing stages with a client when they're saying look do i want to do something crazy yeah uh so so, so i think we one of the things we really pride ourselves on is saying no to clients actually mm. and it can be really hard and, and I think often one of my one of my issues with the consulting industry is that the um, incentives are slightly skewed I don't get paid to say no to a client but I can't sleep at night if I don't say no when when I need to say no and so um, so often we've had clients we've won some of our biggest clients who have come to us and said um, hey please can you 
build us insert random web3 metaverse project here and i've said no because it's, a, it's just not a good idea um and they've said well, what do you mean insert big consultancy have said they they would build it for us and I, well, of course they did. Like, mm. like, of course they did. They, you, they, you've got a two and a half million pound budget. They would be delighted to take your money. Very, very, very hard to say no. But um, I'd say most, the most common thing, I'd say greater than 50% of the time, clients come to us with an idea. We tend to spend a, a short amount of time validating that as a concept mm. concept and more often than not the, the recommendation is please don't do this sometimes we might have another recommendation do this instead i was about to ask actually about the the risk involved you mentioned risk earlier mm. um and when you're uh, embarking on these ideas you've decided what, what you're going to do you've spoken to the client and how much risk is actually involved at the end of that process when you're when you're launching the tech whatever it is that you're doing for the company if we've done our job very 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 little uh, from a legal and regulatory perspective it should be near nil mm -hmm. um i mean there's always risk in any business venture outside of legal and regulatory from a from a um just pure commercial perspective can you execute on the plan that you've got um but at the outset it can be really thorny if we if we think about it if we run through that that list in ai it, it's fundamentally it's hard because not only have you got to comply with the law as it is today and the regulation as it is today, those things are moving rapidly. And so building a system that is, quote, compliant today might not be compliant tomorrow. And that's hard, which is why we get a lot of benefit from being plugged into the policy conversation within the yes. public sector, because we can try and also crystal ball gaze a little bit about what what it might look like tomorrow. AI is fundamentally challenging the way we think about discrimination, bias, it's fundamentally challenging what we think about liability. Who is liable for the 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 acts or omissions of an AI system? Is it is it the user? Is it the is it the algorithm? An algorithm cannot be liable for anything. So who assumes that liability? Is it the developer? Is it the um, is it the provider? Um, the metaverse is fundamentally challenging our um, understanding of what is real and, and amplifying the potential for harm when all of a sudden the, the volumes of people that can attend things and experience things is greater than usually physical constraints would, would, would place on the thing. Um, and Web3 is fundamentally challenging our understanding of what consensus looks like in i mean the the technology that underpins most web3 stuff means that the way that we've built legal systems for a few thousand years which is two parties make a deal and one of them reneges on it and therefore they sue each other um the way that contracting and that enforcement process works is fundamentally changed by the technology that underpins web3 and so how do you navigate these things? These are the things that it's the the nerdy, the really nerdy bit of me. There's lots of nerdy bits, but the, the, the nerdiest bit of me gets really excited about the the overlap between the tech and the strategy and the the, the risk component of these things. So, in light of everything that we've spoken about so far, um, we've spoken a lot about the future and now and the past. To any marketers listening who are at the beginning of their career and they're wanting to think ahead they're wanting to 
mitigate their own risk with their career, what would you say are some, because I won't give you just one answer because that's difficult, some of the most sought after skills or some of the most important skills to have right now? Critical thinking. I think the ability to, we're, we are, we've always been in a, a, a work environment in which being able to think critically is important, but the, the number of inputs that you're going to have to analyse and make a critical assessment of is about to go on steroids in a big way. If you're considering a, a visual direction for a brand, all of a sudden it's going to be commercially feasible for an agency to prevent, present you with a thousand options, mm. not four. Um, and so if you're working agency side, having the ability to critically assess that ridiculous number of options and condense it actually into the four that your client might like to see, I think is really important. And on the client side, being able to process vast amounts of information and make a make an assessment and make a judgment, I think is is going to be really important. I think critical thinking will support you in your personal life as we enter what's probably going to be a really challenging time for our democracy and society. The idea that this post-truth world where deep fakes are everywhere and the sources of the truth are blurrier and blurrier it's going to be a really hard time for everybody and i think critical thinking will be a key skill and they don't really teach it at school at school which is frustrating um and so i think a critical thinker goes a long way um i saw a recording recently from Barack Obama, in which he basically said when he was employing anyone at any level, he basically just looked for someone that, in his words, just gets shit done. Um, strip away all the all the processes and all the procedures and all of the steps in a process are really important and everyone should be au fait with them and they should get used to them. But ultimately, you need someone that can achieve an outcome for you. Um, and so... I don't know what if we were to condense that into a a, a, a skill. Ask Barack. Get shit done, get shit done person, <laughs> person is uh, would be my would would be the the seconds of critical thinking. An executor, an op an operator, someone that can 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 get things done. Um, and then I think I don't. I fundamentally one of I often have this argument within um, with a number of my colleagues around should a should all lawyers learn how to code I just fundamentally don't think they should mm-hmm. I do think that all humans all were all those in the professional workforce should have an increasing understanding of the very very fundamentals of computer science moving forwards mm-hmm. um, doesn't mean they're a programmer doesn't mean they are expert in it by any means um, but fundamentally understanding how computers work at a very high level I think is important and I think will allow you to adapt to and react to and and, and properly understand some of the things that are happening in the next few years and help you be a critical thinker probably as well just have a very basic understanding exactly and you'll need critical thinking because if you google fundamentals of computer science you'll get a few billion results and most of them will be rubbish so so you'll need some critical thinking to pick through it 
we've made it through the grueling interview that was, but now we have come to the Resell Me a Pen Challenge, the PMW-owned challenge where it's all about getting my attention. And we have tasked you with an abacus, which was chosen by a previous guest, Aslan Raj, from Dentsu and Merkel. How do you feel with your challenge? This is the thing I'm most nervous about on the entire thing, I have to say. <laughs> and, and just uh, ground rules, am I allowed to ask you questions as part of the... Yes, process. as long as they're not too difficult. Okay. okay. You can ask me any questions. You do only have 60 seconds. Okay. And when you are ready, Tom, resell me the abacus. Okay, so the abacus is one of the longest standing inventions of humans. It's essential for anyone that's going to need to perform basic arithmetic on a day-to-day basis. Um, I'm assuming in your job you're constantly having to keep track of the number of people you've spoken to, what stage they're at in a conversation, um, and if, like me, you hate the interface of most CRM tools, you often need something visual on your desk that allows you to quickly flick through. Uh, Most organisations, most professionals that are trying to keep track of all of these things would use something like a post-it note. Uh, An abacus abacus is exactly the same thing, but it just makes a fun sound when you flick the beads one side to the other. Uh, They're really cheap and they fit on your desk. It's a no-brainer, I think. With five seconds to spare. Brilliant. Ooh. You know, when I was speaking to Robin, our editor, we have various awards coming up, and he says, "Oh, what what shape should our trophies be?" I said, "They should be an abacus." Did you? Yeah. Abacus is a cool, and every kid at some point has owned one. Mm. I don't know why, but yes, I like it. It's the tactile, uh, yeah. you know, the dexterity skills, isn't yeah. it? But um, yeah, I'm not sure they're not. Yeah, what they're doing. I actually might now. I've I've now sold myself, so <laughs> I, I think I might actually have one on my desk because yeah, Amazon's getting a bit of a, a splurge, a bit of a splurge, R- referral a link in the in the bio. <laughs> yeah, we should start there actually for our resell me's. Mm, I do. I like the idea when you in, integrate it with a CRM. I find that very interesting. Because I hate CRM interfaces. Mm. They're just so. I don't think anyone does. Mm. It's one of the most common things I actually get sold. Do you need a new CRM? Uh, you know to. And I love my CRM. I just don't like the interface. I just don't like the. Mm-hmm. You'd like much prefer something physical. Just cleaner. Yeah. Yeah. Hot lead. Boom. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Ooh. Well, you sold to the right person. I was a targeted audience there for you when you're talking about uh, all the communications that you have to count up and assess. Uh, maybe I would have liked to have seen a, a more a more modern strategy for the reselling. But, yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. <laughs> well, I'm on the fence. I was selling an abacus, though. You can only sell an abacus so modern. I think it's a... We've had, we've had very difficult things. There. It's probably the oldest, te- would you call it technology, an abacus? Sure. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> I think it's yeah. I think it is yeah. It's, I have a one of my best friends was recently challenged us as a group of friends to come up with the uh, if human society was to disappear right now, what mechanical object would be the last one that would continue to survive? Mm. And we were all guessing for ages, and he was looking so smug in the corner during this conversation. And people were saying, I don't know, like a, a, a gate hinge or a, yeah. a solar-powered calculator or whatever it might be that lasts forever. And then he just emerged from this air of smugness and just said, a dog. That's not a mechanical... We all just burst out laughing and said, that's not a mechanical object. He said, it's biomechanical. 
fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay, that's getting very kind of blurry there. For, but... the, for the avoidance of doubt to listeners, the dog would not be the last mechanical object <laughs> to survive. I like the answer, though. Yeah. We always, I love an answer with a dog, always. Yeah. <laughs> I was, do you know what, I was keen to say no, you hadn't resold it, but I think... The amount of people listening that, that I know you're solving the problems for are probably going to say, yeah, I'd much rather use a physical wooden slidey beady crosser thing rather than some interface. So, yes, Tom, you have resold. Winning. Resold the abacus today. And and that is time. So thank you so much for coming on thank the podcast and me. unlocking technology in its various forms from dog to highly technical <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this week's episode with Tom Grogan. But before you leave, I have an exciting announcement for you. The registration for PMW Unlocked 2024 is now open and we will be back in London next March for our annual two-day extravaganza. Plus, we have a very special but limited offer for you. If you work in-house for a brand or retail company, you can register for free. Tickets normally cost 195 quid, but we are offering our first few tickets free of charge to qualifying marketers. So I hope to see you in next week's episode, but also at the event in March.